you know, for anyone out there that's listening and you feel that same way when you're working where it's like, why am I investing my time and energy in this? Like, believe that there's a different route. Sometimes you just got to say, fuck what everyone says and take a risk. And, you know, as you grow older, you learn how to take more calculated risks. Welcome to Theoretically Speaking, hosted by Victoria Herrera and Brent Javier. Produced by Next Theory. From the Philippines to the world, this is an interview series with creative entrepreneurs, taste makers, and change agents. We dissect the journey they took from dream to reality, exchanging stories from the past, motivations in the present, to ideas for the future. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Theoretically Speaking. I'm your host, Brent Hevier, alongside my co-host, Victoria Herrera. Hey guys, what's up and welcome back to our show. It's going to be another great episode. Brent and I are really excited about our guests and who we've been interviewing. We're getting a lot of great insights and just a lot of great lessons while we're here in quarantine. Brent, what would you say is one of the reasons why you wanted to get our next guest on the show? Well, our next guest, I met him a couple times. He's someone that has such big energy. He's a great person, uh, easy to talk to. And it's just his journey. It was something that I wanted to dive deeper into and let people like learn from his experiences and what he's doing. Yeah, and absolutely pick his brain, get to know him better. He's someone we've seen out in events, out in the club. So it's it's really nice to also have conversations with someone that you see, again, in the scene, but on another level, right? So to formally introduce our next guest, he has over 17 years of experience in the game. You may know him as February Bank or Chris Cattrall, and he has transformed a recreational sport into a valuable occupation. He is at the cross-section of various sounds that somewhat remind you of Andre 3000 or Kendrick Lamar in the musical Charisma, while having a smooth switch-up between singing and rapping that remind you of a young Mazda. Expanding on his craft has led to opportunities for mentoring artists around the globe, which has enabled him to give back to the creative community. Right now, February Bank currently resides in the Philippines, where he has rooted himself in a country where he's born as he continues to make music from the heart. How's your mental health, given the time that it is right now with everything that's going on? How are you holding up? Well, thank you for asking. That's a good question. I'm dealing with mental health like a little bit different right now because before this whole COVID pandemic, uh, and the lockdown, I had already gone through like a really dark stage for a long time. You know, I saw Vicky like crossing the street in BGC one of these days. And I even opened up about that. Like, yo, I'm not in a good place trying to bounce back. So when you, when you go through a, a long extended period of dark days and then you finally climb out of it and you start to feel better about yourself and your environment and your productivity, you know, this goes on and on and on. You look at a time like this and it, it's not really that bad, you know? So, of course, like, everyone's going through it because it's a life change and we all try to stay positive. So, yeah, just like any other normal person, you have good days and you have really bad days where some days just really seem like forever. Especially if, like, you get fueled by human contact, being... You're very being sociable active, and... Being social yeah. and stuff. There's only so much that we can accomplished like virtually there's just like you know that that human element that's missing and it's it, it's hard to control 
your thoughts and not getting too deep into your thoughts these days, right? But I've learned how to coach that along the way. Hey, Chris, think on the positive side. Um, I don't really do things to distract me necessarily, but it's really just about just tell myself like, yo, it's all good. If you feel sad, feel sad. If you feel bummed out, feel bummed out. Like, no matter what, it's going to pass. You know, I have confidence in that based on experience. But yeah, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Thank you. How about you guys? Am I, am I supposed to ask you guys questions? Can I you do can. that? No. It, yeah, you're a host too, Chris. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess one by one, just briefly, like, how are you guys dealing with how it is? And then, you know, like, looking towards May 15th as, like, okay, there might be a few changes. And how you think, like, the industries that you guys are energy in, how you think it's going to be, like, within the first three months? Vicky, do you want to you start off? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's kind of something we've been reflecting on as well since lockdown started, since March, right? And just this very podcast is a result of that brainstorming as well. Just us trying to figure out, okay, what are the next steps? Will we still have events? Will we still, you know, have these types of activations or projects? We can't control everything. And to be quite honest, it's a bit too early to make permanent decisions because there's a lot of things still up in the air, right? Like we really don't know how GCQ will be. We know how it will be in our head according to the rules and flyers that we see online, but really stepping out into the world and making not sure how it's going to be. We're not sure how people will react. But one of the things that Brent and I talked about in the company, we can control ourselves and how we can channel our creativity and how we can keep that alive, right? I mean, just being on this podcast, it was kind of like, let's still keep our souls alive creatively by still doing things we believe in, right? So just us talking to our guests, connecting with people, building good relationships with people, those are still part of our values in Next Theory, and we want that alive. So I used to say this a long time ago, even if the form changes, the form of how you're going to express something, at least keep the energy alive. You know, yeah. it may not be events this year anymore. I know we did like events last year. Maybe that may not be our future, but what we stand for and our energy and what we believe in and our values, like we can find a way to channel that into something else, you know? Right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> I mean, picking up where Vicky was, was speaking on, there's gonna, I don't think there's going to be events. All this May 15th stuff, like, I think they should push it back. But I don't know. We'll see how, how things go. I think there's going to be another spike if they start opening stuff too early. But I guess uh, until proven wrong, right, a lot of people are losing jobs and stuff. It's not a happy situation for everyone. But on a personal note, like, I've been here with my family. And yeah. it's not something I get to do a lot of the time throughout the year. you know half glass full uh i've been i've been able to uh, be with my parents like almost every day for like over a month now and that's great for me so like a lot of things suck but i'll take that definitely as a positive i'm happy that i'm here with my parents i get to spend time i'm gonna lead it into the next thing that i just want to talk about i want to talk about it later but since we talked about um since i mentioned parents like i know your parents were were in the philippines recently are they still there by any chance or did they leave they uh 
it was weird. So they didn't reschedule their ticket. They had a planned return flight back to the U.S. Uh, on March 16th. And I think that was the very first day they issued the lockdown or at least the transportation ban. That's when like the grabs like, and the buses, all transportation stopped that day. So they kind of left at a good time. Oh, okay. So they were able to, to get out. Yeah. Go back. Yeah. Okay. And they were, they were here. They were visiting me for a couple of months. And just to kind of paint a picture on the timeline of like how perfect that was, I was using my parents coming back to stay with me in my condo. I was using that as a goal to snap out of my depression, right? Where I'm like, okay, mom and dad are going to be here. I don't want them to worry, number one. I don't want them to see me this way. I don't want them to think like that I've failed or I'm not doing anything good for myself here in the Philippines. So right when they got here, it's, and it, it didn't work out that way. You know, I was trying to push for me to mentally snap out of it by then. But what helped was them being here and, you know, like, my dad popped the question right away, like, Yo, Chris, I don't plan no more. Like less than 12 hours of being with me pop the question because like, yeah, he is worried. Like the majority for, for those that don't know, I was born in America, born in California. Both my, yeah, both my parents are, are born and raised in the Philippines, did not know each other in this country, but met in California. Uh, I decided to move here just to number one, say that I lived in the Philippines during this lifetime. And number two, to continue pursuing my dreams and living out my life here, right? So when people ask me this question, like, yo, Chris, like, uh, are you there for good? I, I still don't know. Cause I'm still kind of going through this thing where I've been here almost four years now. And the longer that I've been here, the less I feel a part of the country. So I'm not sure why I feel less connected to my people. I, le I feel less connected to the Philippines and I'm leaning more towards my friends in America the, the American culture, American music to like fuel me in a degree. So I find that kind of interesting, right? You would think the longer you stay in a country, you feel more connected to that country, but it's been the opposite for me. So I'm trying to figure out why that is right now. And maybe it's just about reconnecting with your roots. Like my long-term friends are not around me. My close 99% of my family are not in this country. So when, it's, when you are feeling down or you're feeling lost or confused, you usually lean towards your rocks, your support system. And that's what I, I – sometimes I feel like I have nobody to even call here, right? So I'm like at that point right now. So now it's like, okay, well, if I feel that way, connect with the people that really know me, that really have stuck with me through me being a good person, bad person, making good decisions, bad decisions, but always stuck with me. So I haven't found a core here that I feel I could match to my core back. Um, just speaking from my own experience, I think that's always a battle that, and Vicky obviously also grew up in the US. I mean, yeah, but I moved here when I was very young already, you know? It was more, it was more my older siblings who when they moved here, they experienced that culture shock. Yeah. And having to adjust to Philippine culture when they were raised so Americanized. But I could see the differences and how some mannerisms are culturally, how some things are. I do know that growing up here, one of the hardest things was that if you were different, it felt uncomfortable. Just with people looking or talking about you, or even if I said something with an accent, I would hear it being mimicked around me. That was what I kind of struggled with growing up, just being different, because I was so used to 
being exposed to different cultures at home with my older siblings being very American and that sort of thing. But I grew up in a local school. So I had crazy cultural references in my head and still trying to find ways to identify with not like just what I identified with. Anyways, Brent moved here much later, right? In your 20s. And then- well, I, I've been in the Philippines for 17 years. So like you've been here for four years now. I'm telling you that that feeling might not go away. Because like every couple of years or every once in a while, I'm just like, yo, should I really be here? Or should I go home, get a, a normal job even, or, you know, something more steady? But there's always something that keeps you in the Philippines. I don't know. It's like, I'll do there, right? And then mm-hmm. once it has its grasp on you, it's hard to break that grasp. At least for me and like most of my friends that have grown up abroad, with, whether it's, you know, Canada, US, Australia, if you if you stay here longer than four years, you're going to get this feeling again. So I don't know. It's just always an inner battle that you just figure out for yourself. Like, is this is this the right move? With the both of you, like moving to the Philippines as adults, how was that transition for you into the country? Like in your first year? For me, this goes way back to growing up because so my mom worked for the U- USPS, United States Postal Service, right? She started off like as a mail carrier, just going house to house, delivering mail into mailboxes. And her just being a hard worker and a go-getter, she just started getting different opportunities to climb up that corporate ladder. Being born in California, I moved a lot growing up because my mom got different job opportunities. And instead of being around family, and staying in her comfort zone, she took this. And her mentality was, you know what? While I'm young, I can make more money, get a new job in a new area, and like explore the United States with my family. So from California, I moved to Billings, Montana. And at a young age, like I, li- I love sharing the story because like in California, you know, it's so diverse. So you're around so many different Asians, so many minorities, right? So you never really think about your cultural background, the way you talk, the food you eat, the way you look. But when I moved to Montana, which no offense to anybody else out there, it felt like it was 99% rednecks. So I was around a lot of white people. And at a young age, I experienced racism. So when you think America, you always think kind of black, white racism, you know, white people being racist against black people. But like, I felt it as an Asian American because Filipinos and the Filipino culture wasn't really dominant as it was or present like it was in California, in other states. They thought, okay, who's this chinky boy, right? He's, he has chinky eyes, this guy's Chinese. So, you know, growing up, I would hear like these words like chink and gook and Chinaman and like, oh, do they eat like weird animals? You got to take off your shoes before you go inside or you get punished. You know, I would hear this stuff from kids and no matter how confident you are, how popular you are, how strong you are inside, when you hear that as a kid, you start to get scared. You don't know how to deal with that type of hate or that type of judgment. Then you start to question yourself like, damn, maybe I am different. Some people get ashamed of like their cultural background where I've seen it before with other Asian kids like, hey, mom, can you drop me? off at the corner just because they didn't want to see like maybe their car or like maybe how their mom looked or how she dressed you know parents would like drop off their kids like away from all of these white kids growing up dealing with racism at a young age it like really helped me to be strong as an individual but the reason why that happened i believe is like because i was so active as a kid i was blessed to, to do all these extracurricular activities and when you're growing up as a child what's important is if you like do things and you do things well whether it's karate, swimming, singing, you're good on the basketball court, whatever it is. Uh, I was so active with extracurricular activities and actually good at the things that I was putting my mind to. And that kind of put me into this world of 
ah, Chris is a cool kid. So that helped me break away from people judging me and like feeding me with racial comments growing up. So I'm going to keep this going. I'll try to speed it up. But like from, from Montana, I moved to Hartford, Connecticut. And that was different because East Coast lifestyle. And I, I lived in a neighborhood where it was literally just white and black people. That was interesting to get that whole New England lifestyle. And what was hard was I moved to the East Coast my very first year of high school. And that's a tough transition from eighth grade, from middle school to high school. And like not knowing anyone at all, that one was tough. Moving from California to Montana, I was still young, elementary school, but from the middle school to high school, going to a new state and trying to make new friends, that was pretty challenging. But, you know, I was an athlete growing up and I was good at sports and that's what kind of got me into the cool crowd. Yeah, from there, I moved back to California. Also, I moved to Seoul, Korea. I lived there for five years. To answer your question now, I was used to pressing reset not knowing anyone, and then meeting people and making my own little circle and making new friends since I was really, really young. And so coming to the motherland where I am Filipino, I eat Filipino food, like Tagalog and the culture growing up, it was a piece of cake. Yeah, sorry that was a bit long, but thanks for listening to that. <laughs> no, it's very interesting. I see a lot of similarities. Um, like I jumped not from like state to state, but like I went from school to school. I went to like IS schools. You know, just a lot of similarities. Also, I excelled in sports, and that was my platform as well to show off, yeah. to make the girls look. Those are, that's what you use sports for, pretty much. But yeah, thanks for sharing that story about you moving around. Yeah, I mean, and eventually ending up here in the Philippines or in the Philippines, right? And, and I'm proud to share that because, like, you know, when I look at—not to say that I'm better—but when I look at a lot of the people in my life, there's a lot of people who have stayed in the same neighborhood, same street. Their entire life. So when I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I thank my mom for being so gutsy to be like, you know what, I'm going to take my family pack up and leave and like explore. But now like a personal side story to that is just like, I have one sibling, you know, her name is Jessica, you know, shout out my little sister who's out in California. So it was just me and my sister growing up. And for me, with my personality, I adapted to that well, right? And my sister who wasn't as outgoing, was more of an introvert, didn't really know what she wanted to do with herself and wasn't active with extracurricular activities too. Like, I think it put her in a position where when she got older, she started kind of drifting to crowds that weren't the best crowds for her. And so I'm not sure if that's a true answer, but I feel like my sister didn't adapt to these changes as well, where she never really built a proper foundation for herself as a, a girl and now a woman. You know, like I, I said, I give thanks to my mom for giving me that opportunity, but moving around, as, as great as it sounds, it's really just not for everybody. I know that you were already doing music in Korea and you were doing music in the States, but why did you choose to get into music in the Philippines? Was there something you saw? Okay, so when I moved here, which is July 2016, that was my third time here in the Philippines. First time was in 2001, and that was with like my mom and dad, Antonio, like a family trip, right? Mm -hmm. So that was my first experience of the Philippines. The next time was in 2013, and I was living in Seoul, South Korea at the time, and that was my first time alone. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go to the Philippines on my own for the first time. And so I figured Korea is close to the Philippines. Let me take advantage of this opportunity. During that trip, I was walking around in the same area I'm in now. I live here in Taguig, BGC. And I was walking around and I, not sure if you guys have ever experienced something like this, but I had a voice inside of me kind of just say, Chris, 
you got to move here someday. And I had this spiritual epiphany. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to make this work. It's crazy how life works where like all the pieces kind of fit together. Sometimes it's not necessarily right then and there. Three years for everything to come together. And I made the move out here. And it was because of that moment in 2013 where I felt connected to my roots, my blood, my history, the ground. You know, I remember just feeling the grass after I heard that voice in my head. I'm like, ah, this is home. Never let go of that. Got detoured, made some decisions that like maybe I shouldn't have, but I ended up making my way here in 2016. How would you describe your musical journey since you first moved here? Oh, wow. Okay. I had no expectations. I knew because I did the same thing in Korea, where I moved to Korea, not because of a music opportunity. It's because... I wanted to get out of my comfort zone, and I ended up teaching English. As an English teacher in a country that doesn't speak English, really, I was like, okay, well, number one, I have to adapt to this culture, but I really love music, so I'm going to make music on the side. So I kept making music on the side, making music on the side, started off with, like, open mics, ended up, like, getting signed to a Korean label called Aftermoon, ended up quitting my day job. Coming into the Philippines and having that experience already, I was like, you know, let me just play it by ear. The cool thing, I got to share this because it's such a cool story. So I'm going to I'm gonna rewind a little bit. So when I was in California, I was where I'm from the Silicon Valley. So I was working for a tech company that specialized in 3PL, third-party logistics and e-commerce, right? Like shipping and storage solutions for e-commerce purchases, e-commerce websites. Now, it was lunchtime and I'm, I'm in the sales department. So I'm walking to the, the kitchen and on the way to the kitchen, it's the conference room, which is all glass windows. And on the dry erase wall, like here, I'm gonna, it's like right here, it said Manila. That's all it said. It said Manila. So I'm walking there, I see Manila on the board. I'm like, what the, I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I went to my sales director. I was like, yo, Haas, why does it say Manila in the conference room? They're like, oh, we're building a branch out in the Philippines. Keep in mind, at this point, I'm not making music. I haven't been creative. So I don't even know what I want to do with music, but I knew eventually I wanted to make music. And what I just told you earlier, I had a dream about, I had that epiphany where I'm like, I got to move to the Philippines. So now after he told me that they were going to branch out to the Philippines, it was like, ding, got this idea. So I created a brand new job position for myself. And I knocked on the vice president of sales, his door, and went into his office and pitched it to him. I said, you know what? I'm Filipino. You know, I've been doing good in sales. Here's my numbers. When I move out to the Philippines, here's my job. This is what it looked like for the first three quarters, right? This is my role and responsibilities. Boom, gave me the job, right? So now this company is flying me all the way here. And I'm going to be on U.S. salary, direct deposit to my U.S. bank account, living in the Philippines. And I'm like, yes, this is my ticket in. Now, the fucked up thing is I knew before I even created this job position, I knew I was going to fucking quit. I knew already. I'm like, I'm going to utilize this shit to get me into the country. I'm going to milk the company for all the money that I can, right? Because I know once I become an artist full time, that money's not going to come in consistently, but I'm going to leave. And so that's what's hap- that, That's what happened. I basically hustled the queen to get my ass over here. I'm talking about it with so much passion and proud, but I mean, like, yo, that's, that's G shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo. Yeah. <laughs> are we smiling right now? <laughs> I mean, like, what do you guys think of that story? Like, I saw Manila, the yeah. only thing on the board. 
And I feel like if I didn't have this corporate job and didn't stick with this corporate job, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a way to to connect the dots. I always we always tell people like sometimes you connect the dots in hindsight how everything worked out, right? But just to kind of clarify it, was it the states and then Manila and then Seoul and then back to Manila, or how's the timeline? After college, I started working, and just to share this because it's a cool thing to share. You know, I I worked with a lot of kids, so. You know, I was a youth specialist, so I created like after school programs for elementary and middle school students. So that way after school, they can do their homework, they can play. It was basically to kill time before the parents would pick up the kids. So I had that type of job. And also I was a personal trainer at a, at a gym called Bali Total Fitness. So I have a personal training background as well. I lost both those jobs, moved to Korea, stayed in Seoul for about maybe four, four and a half years, went back to the States, got a regular job. That's what happened. And I work for crazy companies. Like people think, oh, Chris lives in BGC, he's American. Oh, me perasha. Like, you know what I mean? No, like I worked at Tesla in the like assembly line. You know what I mean? Building the chargeable batteries for the Model T. Like standing up, like I was wiring, move, wiring, slide, you know? And I did that for 12 hours a day where like we had time lunches. You would hear this bell going, and I would have to run to the cafeteria because if you didn't run and get to the fucking microwave, half of your lunch is gone. So I ran there just so I could warm up my food. Like that's how quick our lunches were. So I come from like, that's why I connect. Like when people wonder why I always talk to the guards, to these lower income people here, it's like, yo, I'm trying to let them know just because you see me living in BGC, you got to understand in a different country, I was check the check struggling just like you guys. It's me trying to fight as a foreigner. No, we're the same. We are the same. I'm not trying to prove myself to the rich people or people in the upper class. I'm trying to prove myself to the lower class. Like, oh, I come from that. I come from that struggle. Just speaking on that real quick, the upper class in the Philippines are on another level in a lot of ways. Like growing up, like same thing. Like I flipped burgers, cleaned washrooms. I worked at a laboratory doing pipette, like 50 million of these, like checking blood samples and all kinds of just normal jobs right the rich people they next level everything's taken care of like some of them don't pay for their cell phone bills until like they're 30 all kinds of stuff but i get you we can go on a whole another episode on that type of stuff so (laughs) but i get you man i get the frustration i think like part of me is a bit guilty because i feel like oh my god like i was raised here like (laughs) no because like my older siblings would always say i don't think we're like the most wealthy. I think my mom works super hard to make sure we're comfortable. But I do know that in the state, when we were living there, it was really tough on our family. And my sisters and my brother, they'd really struggle from working in the bakery. And then John would, when he was like 13 or something. So yeah, we'll get those stories from John when he's growing up. But one of the things that that I see a lot, and it's it's something that was really talked about in my family, and I see it when both of you are talking, it's just that hustle mentality that, you know, whatever job you're given, do it the best way you can. Would that be something that you feel influenced how you approach music now, Chris? That's a good question. That's That one's hard. I guess where I'm going is it's because I understand the feeling of having a regular job, like where you have 
you got to wake up every day. You got to get in your car. You got to be in traffic. You got to stay in an office or inside of a building the whole day and then go home. With my last job, you know, I can talk about so many, but let's just go to my last job. This was, you know, my corporate job before I moved to the Philippines. This is coming back from my experience in Korea. So I would be at my desk and of course, like I want to show off some of the things that I did in Korea. So I pull up YouTube, SoundCloud, you know, play some of my music on Apple. And like my coworkers would be like, yo, Chris, this is so dope. And they would all follow up with what the fuck happened? Because to them, it was like I made it or I was on a roll. That would get to my head. You know, I'm such an emotional guy. I cry a lot. Maybe it's just the passion inside of me or I'm so sensitive to many extremes. But I would go into the office and I would straight up cry. And I would ask myself, like, why am I here? You know, for anyone out there that's listening and you feel that same way when you're working where it's like, why am I investing my time and energy in this? Like, believe that there's a different route. Sometimes you just got to say, fuck what everyone says and take a risk. And, you know, as you grow older, you learn how to take more calculated risks. But it's good to look back at your time and your decisions and your life and say, you know what, I tried. Because I think there's so much that can happen, whether you feel like you made it or you failed. But just the fact that you took the risk and said, you know what, I tried, even just for a little bit. And I feel good about that decision. I don't think anyone's going to be like, no, I regret trying. I don't, I've never heard a story like that. I think too, like those experiences, like they give you a different perspective. I really believe it's true that like traveling or living in another place makes you smarter in another way that textbooks can't really teach because you get Mm -hmm. to like see how culture is and like realize that where you grew up, it's not exactly how it is over wherever. Yeah. I don't know. I I want to ask you like, what does the word home mean to you now? Because like you've been, like you said, different states in the US, Korea, Philippines. Where is home to you? Well, you guys are asking amazing questions because I've been thinking about what you just asked lately. Like, where is home? And what I realize is that home has to start within. For you to understand that you're okay with yourself, and that way you're not feeling lost, that way you're not yearning for something or looking for something that isn't physically present in your life or in your life at the moment. If I'm comfortable with myself, then I understand, you know what? Like, you got to remind yourself you're loved. If you feel like you don't have friends or family, like every person has somebody that cares about. It doesn't even have to be friends and family. There's strangers that are putting that energy towards your life. Just to understand that you're being loved. Then you start to realize that home is where love is. It can extend from where I'm sitting right now in my own personal space. I think of as a sacred place, but it extends to all of these beings that show me love. To answer where is it, I think instead of looking externally, we have to look internally and then you can figure that out for yourself. So it starts within for me. I want to go back to something you said earlier about your core group. Also home is where you have like your support. Is Philippines home? Like, cause you said you, you weren't sure really if you have your support group there, your, your core group. I don't know. I mean, I can't, and it sucks that I can't answer that. The main reason why is because Family is very, very important to me. If the majority of my family is not around me, as you start to get older, you know, of course, career and being financially and starting a family, these are goals of mine. When I think about me being a Nino or just me being the cool uncle and not being around like my friends and family's kids growing up and missing out on so many birthday parties and events, it's like, do I really want to miss 99% of these events just because I want to live in the Philippines, my dreams. So that's the thing that's like, 
I'm being pulled from time to time, but because I'm in it right now and I got the wheels in motion, you can't pull me out of where I'm at right now. So yes, I mean, in the literal sense, yes, this is home because I live here. This is where I'm at. But when I think future and long term, it's really, really question mark, question mark, question mark. And maybe you guys can relate to this. It's like these types of moments you don't want to miss forever. And it's not like most people don't have the financial flexibility to just be like, oh, you know what? My niece is having a birthday party. Let me fly to California real quick. And so that's the biggest thing is like, do I want to be away from them forever or for the majority of my life? We'll figure that out in the next couple of years because, you know, told my dad, like, give me a, about a year, year and a half, and we'll come back and have this transparent conversation whether I'm going to be okay in the Philippines or not. So I'm praying, putting the energy out there. I'm glad to have you guys on board. Just know on my end, like, I see what's going to happen. I feel what's going to happen. I'm very confident in every single one of these people that are here in the chat that are going to help me out. So just know I'm going to reciprocate that type of energy, and uh, let's, let's pray for opportunities and blessings moving forward. With regards to like definitions, and I know you want to take your music career to another level, what does success mean to you where you feel like, okay, I feel good? I think all musicians, when they start, they have this idea of becoming big, rich, famous, popular. When you first start, like, why wouldn't you think that way? It's all based on attention on you. Hey, listen to what I have to say. Hey, look at the way I move. Hey, look at the way I, I dress. So you want that attention. I think every young artist that starts wants to get to that point. For me, I've been doing it for 15 years now. So many ups and downs. I even stopped and thought that was the end of my road when it comes to being an artist and pursuing music. But now it's about, I've never been able to travel to different countries. Like to be able to travel to different countries, perform my songs. And like you've seen it with the artists that all of you guys listen to, you'll have a live concert where the artist doesn't even have to sing the fuck anymore. He can just let everyone in the audience. I want to get to that point where I can say I traveled the world and I had people sing along to my songs in that capacity where I could just point the microphone out to the audience and have them take over. So that to me is the ultimate goal for this specific time. Uh, that's the next goal, not ultimate goal. That's the next goal moving forward. You have to build enough, a lot of courage because performing live is even around your friends. That's nerve wracking, you know, to be able to like hop on a plane from city to city, perform back to back, you know, night after night. I haven't experienced that yet. Maybe like two or three nights. But if you're pulling an entire tour where it's back to back to back to back to back, I don't know what that's like. I'm up for the challenge. I'm up to be in front of all these different people and we'll see where that takes me. But yeah, when I think about it now, it makes me nervous. I'm scared. I don't, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if I'm going to be perfect or if I'm going to mess up or people are going to like me, but it's all a part of this journey. Luckily, you know, I make music in English, so that reaches to a bigger audience outside of the Philippines. I'm hoping to get to that point. I want to look, I, I feel like I deserve it. I've been putting so many years that I deserve to get to that point. And it's really just gonna start with, number one, how I write, how that's gonna impact people, and how the music's gonna sound. So before getting ahead of myself, it's really about making music that people can actually fuck with and actually say that they like. It's good that really focused on the music and the product versus just, you know, there's a lot of musicians that get lost out there with uh, the popularity contest with having the coolest Instagram photos and getting as many likes and chasing after that. 
told you a long time ago that when I saw you perform a few times and I said, dude, like you have a lot of energy. The minute you grab the mic, you really catch people's attention. And then you would say something like you put a lot of effort into the art of performance too. And I think that's really cool to look at versus just having that Instagram image of really going back to the art of creating music, the art of performing, because those types of things you can really feel in real life and it really impacts you, especially for the listeners. Sometimes I, I made a joke once, Brent, I go, Chris, sometimes you take over an event and it's not your event. <laughs> it's like Chris shows up to a party and it's like someone, and then Chris just like has fun. And then next thing you know, you turn around and then you see him on stage somewhere and you're like, yo, like and energy. A plan too. Like I'm not lurking for the Funny. attention. Like, right? I'm like, oh, I, I can't wait to step on stage because yeah, there's a hot girl here. Like, no, it's I funny how that just, happens. Yeah. You just enjoy the event and you enjoy the energy. Suddenly you're just like jumping around. And those are one of the good things about artists and performers and that sort of thing yeah. can i speak on performances before moving on sure yeah please let's go ahead so yeah. one interesting thing i want like the listeners to hear is that when they would interview me because i take pride like when you dissect me as a brand as an artist and musician that's where i excel i've always been considered like the showtime guy like on the basketball court on the football field on track and field i always was the guy that was shining i loved it when it, there was a room full of people watching this is what sucks about the filipino music cultures they weren't blessed to have these underground artists or these upcoming artists or these mainstream artists perform regularly weekend after weekend at your local bar, at a basketball arena. So I was blessed to see all of these great acts growing up. What I loved and what I remember about these artists that I watched growing up is when the music wasn't playing in between songs when they would just talk to us. Like, yo, who the fuck smokes weed right now? Everyone's cheering. Or like, hey, how you guys feeling today? Or has anyone ever been in love? Like when artists talk to you on that personal level, these are the moments I remember as a fan watching my favorite artists growing up. And so that kind of translated to how I felt about performing now as an artist is when people ask me, hey, what do you love the most about performing? I'm like, I love it when the music isn't playing. Like artists really need to understand, like, it's not really about you just performing your music because I can get that actually on my own watching YouTube or, or, or playing your Spotify from beginning to the end. It's really about making the crowd feel a part of this whole experience with you. Right. And I'm not sure why the artists that I watch here in the Philippines, no disrespect, but like are lacking that. And I'm not sure. Maybe there's fear. Maybe it makes you uncomfortable to, to connect with them on a personal level. You know, I personally love it when an artist would just ask a question like, how are you guys feeling tonight? So a lot of the times it's just perform a song, next song, perform the next song, perform the next song. Thank you. The in-betweens, I feel like these younger artists or even seasoned artists like continue to do that without the fans. This performance ain't shit. In terms of who you are as an artist, right? February Bank. How do you come up with a name and what does it mean? This goes back to me maybe moving a lot and being comfortable with the reset button. You know, I was always comfortable with the reset button. So when I was Manila Money, I noticed my work ethic changed, my personality changed, and my vision changed where I had no idea what I wanted to do 
and how to structure it moving forward with that name. So I felt disconnected with that name already. Like I would look at it and it just didn't feel like it was me. Most people will be like, you know what? I've built a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I've been rolling with this name for a couple of years. You know, I can't let it go. I'm just going to continue. I knew like moving forward, that would have been a waste of my time. Now that I felt disconnected with that, here's the hard part. For anyone that's brainstorming and wants to create a name for a company, name for a product, name for an artist, it just doesn't come. So luckily, I'm an Aquarius guy. And whenever I think of February, my birthday's on February 5th. Whenever I think of February, I think of Valentine's Day. It just shows like kind of like my love romantic side. And I've always liked the way that it was spelled, you know, February. And then bank, people ask me, okay, so what, what's the bank part? So on my very first song of my upcoming album, which is called Badui, the first song is called Bank. And the reason why I called it that, because that's the first thing I said before I started rapping. I started laughing. I go, bank, right? And I'm like, yo, February bank. So then after I looked at the two images together, the two words together, I'm like, okay, this kind of looks cool. Like, have you guys ever seen Looney Tunes? When I, when I saw February bank, I'm like, that reminds me of Montana Max from Tiny Toons. And like when I think February Bank, it reminds me of like this young kid, student, sophisticated Ivy League guy that maybe went to Yale, Harvard, you know, with suspenders and cute little backpack. It was me just kind of tapping back into being a student and a kid again. But I've created like this acronym for bank where it's like, because angels never knew, you know, because aliens never knew. So it was just me kind of throwing it out there like, yeah, the aliens seem cool because they're from outer space and they think weird, but like, yo, don't doubt us humans and our humanoids. So for bank, like the acronym was like, because aliens never knew. Okay, going to sound though, because it's something that we also want to wanted to pick your brain on. How different would be your sound evolution as an artist from living in the States to making music in Korea? How was your sound there? And then when you first got here as Manila Money, how was your sound as Manila Money? And how is this evolution now as Very Bang? So that's a great question. So when I first started, it all started in the bedroom. I would have like a dictionary on, on one side and a thes uh, thesaurus on another side. And then like I would try to write in that way where I would just like look up definitions of words and have the source. I'm like, okay, what are other words that mean the same thing as this word? And just like learn how to be a creative writer. And then once I had that, I just experimented with what was comfortable. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but I have a choir background growing up. So growing up, I was a singer. I was singing baritone. You know, I also did musicals where I sang like old school songs. I played Elvis in one musical. So I come from like a singing background. So after learning like to be a creative writer, I experimented with my delivery. I would sing, I would rap, I would kind of yell it. Early stages, it's all over the place. Like you wouldn't really get to understand my style. When I moved to Korea, I was doing underground music, but also I tapped into the K-pop world. So I did a lot of like electro pop and like electronic hip hop, you know? And to me, when I listen to it now, it's cheesy, but it's something that I can play to the adults and like the titas will like kind of move around and dance. Like I come to the Philippines and I'm still experimenting. So like I still don't know. And when I hear this album that I'm going to put out, it's just like a specific vibe that I felt for this moment in time. And I know the follow up album, which I'm planning on releasing another album before the end of 2020. So I'm kind of structured for two albums uh, a year until I can't do it anymore. That's just kind of how my mind is with the structure and like my expectation of myself, like on the work end. But yeah, so even now I don't know. And I think that's the fun thing about being an artist is 
you can change the way that you sound. You can say things differently. You can make music that's in multiple genres. Being a kid again, like you're just free. And I think it should always feel like that as an artist. I think what changes really the content of your lyrics because of life experience, the things that you've gone through, and also your vision of how you want to impact the people listening. Another thing that scares me, guys, is like this album that's coming out, it's not really for the kids. But I guess that could be wrong because growing up, I was a lyrical kid. Like I was this backpacker who listened to a lot of underground songs. So anything that wasn't on the radio was cool to me. So if you're not ready to listen to a story or listen to my wordplay or listen to lyrics, it's going to be hard to appreciate this upcoming album. Going back to it, you said it was a vibe. So describe the vibe of your next album. Uh, it was really about going back to how I was in my bedroom when I first started, where all I wanted to do was sound, be clever, create phrases that would make people think. I'm an early 80s baby. I grew up watching MTV, MTV Jams, you know, the MTV Countdown, BET, VH1, all of these stations that had music videos and listening to local radio. Do you remember when you would have cassette tapes, there would be two holes on top and you could put like pieces of paper on top of that cassette and you could record the radio live or you could record shows off of VHS. So I used to like do that. It, it reminds me of maybe Bone Thugs because I remember doing this with Bone Thugs because it was fast rapping like when I was young. But I would like play the song, I would rewind it, I would hear three or four words, I would write it down, that would repeat, right? I would just rewind the song, write down the lyrics, press play. Rewind the lyrics, press play. So this is the type of album where you're going to be like, yo, what did Chris say? Oh, shit, that's what he meant by that. So that's really what I'm excited about is like the rewind element of my songs. One thing I am afraid of too is that like I don't have catchy hooks. There's not a lot of hooks on this album. I'm really going back to the true essence of rap where I rap from the beginning to the end. And I'm not sure if you listened to hip hop back in the day, but it's like the old school mixtapes of like Lupe Fiasco or Lil Wayne and DJ Drama where it was really just about showing off your wordplay. Speaking of your new album, you recently just dropped uh, your first song off the album. Do you want to talk about why you dropped it? Just some background about Bye Bye Ruse? Yeah, well, I mean, just for the title. Like, I had seen a meme when this whole virus thing kind of, like, came forward. There was a meme about how Filipinos say the word virus, where it was like, Bye Ruse. So I thought it was clever just to say, you see bye-bye, like, all right, bye-bye virus, like, let's get out of our lives now. So that's what I meant by the title. Now, when it comes to releasing, I had no plans of releasing any song. I just wanted to keep it all a secret and just all release it as one. I kind of got put in this position where I, I forced myself to release this because I felt like by the time the album comes out, we might not be in quarantine anymore, right? Mm. So the relevancy of the track... I just felt like wouldn't be there anymore. It would just be kind of like this past memory. And the reason why I was torn between keeping it a secret and like releasing it was because it's not really my favorite song. And put a song for the first time as February Bank under my new name, I kind of wanted to have a, a bigger impact with a song that was something that I liked a little bit more than Bye Virus. But then I checked myself. I'm like, you know what? This is fitting because other people had been releasing music. We can go to somebody as popular as Drake, like Tootsie Slide. Personally, I didn't think that was the right song. Yes, it became a TikTok hit, but I feel like that's the reason why he released it. 
Sure, smart for marketing purposes, smart for getting your song viral, but in a sensitive time where people are like questioning life, questioning their future, questioning how they're going to eat, I felt like every artist that was putting out music that didn't relate to what we were going on with right now, I felt like was just not the right move, right? And that's just personal opinion. I felt like the mature side of me came out and said, you know what, instead of trying to grab attention because my song's cool or you can play it at the club or you can turn up to it or dance to it, let me create a song that's something that people could kind of relate to because we're all going through the same thing. So that's why I put it out. I mean, do you guys agree? Like when you see kind of people releasing albums or songs right now, not now because it's starting to light up, it's starting to feel a little bit lighter. But like, let's say the early stages of Corona, like the first month, it just felt weird when people were releasing stuff, right? It felt like it wasn't the right time. Yeah, it wasn't connected to the world. The world, right? What was, I mean, what's happening? I kind of am on the other side of this. I mean, you, your opinions are correct, but I think for me, it provided something for me to just escape to for the moment. That's where I would take it musically. There's some things I saw in fashion that felt a bit uncomfortable. Like in the fashion industry, that's where I had your feelings. Wherein it's like I would see things being released and posted and I was like, this doesn't feel proper for me, but it was a move, right? So maybe that's how you feel with the music industry. Yeah. Also. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm going to just move on to talk about your album, your upcoming album. Why did you name it Bedoy? Like I'm at this stage where I'm okay kind of like teasing myself or like, you know, looking at my flaws, looking at just everything that's not cool about me. So because all the songs don't have a, like a hook, like a radio structured song where there's a verse and a hook and a second verse and a hook. And I just decided to rap from beginning to the end. Like that was so unorthodox. And to me, that was not cool. That's not the cool way to make music right now. That's not the cool way for hip hop to appreciate you right now. And another thing is, is like, I start to tease myself when you listen to the songs, there's one song called Batangas Lo-Fi, right? And at the end of the song, I'm saying, I'm teasing myself for not dialogue, right? V, I told you this in a different conversation, but like, at the end of the song, I'm just like, if I only rap in English and not Tagalog, how would my people understand what I'm about, though? Then I go, I got the blood of Bonifacio. Mukha akong gago. Mayabang si Chris, hindi marunong magtagalo. And it's in my alter ego voice. So if you guys listen to Kendrick Lamar, I do a lot of the Kendrick Lamar style of raps in this piece. But I went the Eminem route where I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to connect with the local hip hop community and just the, the local community here, let me tease myself for not being strong at Tagalog, for not knowing the native language as good as I should. And I'll start by dropping in Tagalog words, but teasing myself with these Tagalog words. And that's my slow kind of transition to making a full-on Tagalog track. And so, like, the whole concept of Badui is really, like, it not being the coolest thing. It not being what you expect. And I just think it's funny. It's just, like, it's corny. It's cheesy. And for someone that has tattoos and has, like, this alpha male image where he's like, oh, hard guy, gangster, whatever, you know, chick, whatever you want to, like, label me as, I feel like calling the album Badoi is going to like make it look like I'm calling myself Badoi, which has a negative connotation to it in a sense. And I'm okay doing that. I feel like it's a short word. It's one word, but it's also, it's very impactful because it's like, what does he mean by Badoi? Is his music Badoi? Is he Badoi? Is he calling other people Badois? But it's left for interpretation. But it's really because I felt like I didn't go the cool route when it came to making the music for this album. 
Yeah, I think the purpose of really good art is just to provoke thinking. Having people think and question just based off the title or what you're putting out or getting people to think, it's quite interesting. And especially in this time where people can be putting out things for attention or are we putting out things to create, right? One of the things I wanted to ask, and it goes along with that train of thought on the concept of cool, how have you changed? Because it sounds like you're not as conscious of your image or what people perceived of you. But as an artist, were you self-conscious or did you care about what people thought? And then how are you approaching music now? I mean, of course, when you're young, you're a bit more vain, a bit more cocky than you should, not as humble. But coming from an athletic background and always taking pride in like staying in shape and, you know, being complimented on how my body looked growing up, I, I use that as a selling point, like younger. Like if you if you see me, when I see these guys now performing with a shirt off, like I used to do that shit a long time ago. I don't think anyone's ever seen me do that here, but I always wanted to use that element as like, yo, I want to be like this sex symbol. You think of artists like LL Cool J, like selling his body and his rapping, like my idol, like Andre 3000, he would perform with his shirt off. I focused a lot on that. And it's really weird to admit this, but like, let me focus on being this kind of like sex symbol. And that way, like that's going to bring more attention to me being a rapper. That changed after a while where I'm like, you know, naturally, I'm still an athlete. You know, I work out all the time. I'm, I take pride in my body. But as you get older, like, you start to realize, like, it's really hard to maintain a superstar-looking body that you had in your early 20s. Like, I'm in my late 30s, ladies and gentlemen. To get rid of this extra, like, chub, you really got to <laughs> be on the strictest diet and focus on calories in, calories out. And you got to stay consistent. So it's hard for me to like get back to that point. Like I focused a lot on how my body looked, not my face. Like, you know, it's hard not to be cocky if growing up people will compliment you on like, you know, growing up, I got voted best looking. Like when they would vote for the yearbook, best looking, best athlete, best this, you know, everything best where I'm like, okay. And people always complimenting me on, ah, you're guapo. You have nice eyes. So that gets to your head as humble as you are. If you keep hearing this shit, you're going to believe that. And so like me, I'm like, yo, let me capitalize on this. Everyone thinks I have nice eyes. Everyone thinks I'm handsome. So let me sell that. Now, the fucked up thing is, or what I've learned about that is I put too much energy into how I looked or how I wanted to be portrayed that it affected the quality of my music. So now I'm finally at a place where I could give a fuck if I'm like super fat with my shirt off on stage, just as long as the music sounds good. So it's gotten me to the point where all I care about is making music that if I was to play it for anybody, I could truthfully say, yo, I'm proud of this song, right? Before the music was lacking, but I was trying to make sure, oh, maybe I can be a host. Maybe I can have cool pictures on Instagram. Maybe I can look sexy. Maybe I can have a cool music video to compensate for a song that I thought sucked. Now I'm proud of everything that happens. So I think that just kind of comes with being honest with yourself, number one. And once you're honest with yourself about your work, it's really about daily execution. If you pick at it every day, little by little by little, I mean, that's, that's how the universe works, right? It's magic for anybody. It's about these simple things that we execute on a daily basis. Naturally, your skills develop and naturally you get to the goal that you want or the goal that you had envisioned in your mind in the first place. For sure. Um, I'm going to first off call you out and say you would not be happy if you had a big belly on stage. <laughs> because uh, 
For sure you would, bro. I'm just joking with that. Oh, um, no, wait. Well, let me stop you real quick right there. And that's so true. You know why? Because, because I even took a screenshot of my Nike running app to post on my Instagram stories that I walked for 10K. So before we started this podcast today, I cleared my mind by walking around BGC and I hit 6.2 miles, which is 10 kilometers, right? So I agree. I think I was just saying that, but there's no way I'm going to let myself slip like that. I'm not going to be happy. I, I know you're not going to. No. I'm late 30s too, and I'm just like you. And like you're trying to hold on to as much of those abs as you can while you, while you can, right? Yeah. Just speaking on your routine and what sharpens you daily. What are you doing nowadays? What your routine is from when you wake up to when you start going to work? Okay, so like before quarantine, it was a little bit different. But I guess I'll speak on now because it's a bit relatable yeah. to everyone. The number one thing that's affecting me is like I am a gym rat. This is 100% true. So I wake up excited every morning knowing that I can have my quick breakfast, take a shit, quick shower. I take a nice warm shower just to wake me up, get my blood flowing, put on my gym clothes, and I go straight to the gym. I look forward to that time because number one, I love fitness, but that's where I get most of my ideas. That's where I'm thinking, who am I going to contact today? What emails am I going to respond to? That's where I'm writing down ideas that I have for songs. And also that's where I'm listening to music. So that's my time like and so to take that away from somebody who looks forward to that every morning it's really fucked with how i go about my days props to everybody that's showcasing their home workouts and being more motivated now but i just can't work out in a small confined space i feel like a rat in a cage i need to move i need to physically move and like take up space so to not have that, that's been tough. So the first five, six weeks, I completely let go. And when I say completely let go, I ate whatever I want. I was putting extra butter on things. Like I would get a pizza from SNR and take butter and just butter the shit out of a pizza that's already oily. I would eat chocolate and ice cream in bed where I would fall asleep with shit right next to me with my laptop open. You know, that's when it's gross. When you wake up and you have snacks right next to you. So I let myself go and then I snapped myself out of it and I said, okay, I need to do something. So right now I live in an area where it's, you know, people are a bit responsible. Streets are clean and wide. I wake up, I go for a walk, open up my computer, do whatever I can on the computer. And that's really about it. Because what's tough, and I'm not sure if you guys can relate, you can plan and strategize all you want right now. But in order for these things to come into fruition, come to life, we have to meet up as people. Like people need to also be working, coming together and working. So yeah, you can do that through the internet and working from home, but it's really hard to really, like for example, let me give you an example for me. Like I want to make a music video. How does that work? Am I using my smartphone and just walking around in an empty street? And of course, yes, you can get creative, but there's only so much you can do on your own. So I, just like you guys, I'm trying to still figure out how I'm going to deal with this. For me, I feel like it's going to end soon, at least for us to get a little bit more freedom than we have now. So I'm kind of just like letting time pass, being as productive as I can, hoping that this shit will change. But if they extend this longer than what I'm thinking in my head to the end of the year, I really don't know how I'm going to deal with things. We need to wrap up our podcast in a bit, but kind of tying that back up, when it comes to like your music and the future, what do you foresee for yourself? 
Before music, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. Like growing up, I want to be a professional athlete, focusing on all the way until like senior year in high school. I knew being a professional athlete, your time is really, really short for being a professional athlete, especially if it's a physical contact sport, which I mean, most sports are. But when you think about music, is there a timeline on that? Do you only make music from when you're young until maybe you're 30? Or do you push it till you're 40? Can you still make the same type of impactful music like when you're 60? I mean, I guess you can really, right? Like if nobody knew that you made that song and liked it and they had no idea you were 60, I guess music, you can impact people at any age, which is comforting to know that there isn't time running out when it comes to this career and to this path. So the ultimate goal is to know that, hey, you know what? I was able to survive properly doing something that I love to do. And it's not like I've never made good money. It's not like, you know, I'm here broke and struggling. It's just, I want to be able to to say that, hey, I'm a bit comfortable. And that, this is what young artists really need to expect. You could be hot shit now. You could have a lot of followers. You could have a lot of engagement on your posts, but that doesn't mean you're going to make money, young kid. Be prepared that this whole image of being a rapper and being cool, like, life changes are you still gonna be a rapper 10 years from now who knows but like when you get to this stage like you gotta you gotta these are the types of things you want to accomplish as uh, an experienced musician is knowing that you were able to put money in provide for a family and have some money in the bank for something that you've been pushing to do for a big chunk of your life the last question i asked gabe and you sort of answered it a little bit now was if you were to like give advice to your younger self getting into what you're getting into, what would you tell your younger self like in hindsight? I have no regrets with life. I look back at all the good and the bad, no regrets. But if I was to talk to my, my younger self, it was really just to like, yo, this is a part of the music and entertainment industry that, you know, a lot of parents, older people kind of look at as it being a bad thing. You know, especially if you're trying to find uh, a companion and a partner in life and somebody said, you know, like, for example, for me, I can speak for me. Like if you're dating a girl and girl's father's like, okay, well, what does he do? And I understand that question because I would do the same if I was father. Oh, oh, he raps. And that has a different type of effect on an adult, especially a father of a girl that you're dating. Because that is not saying you're a doctor or a lawyer or, uh, you know, like architect or whatever it is, software engineer, a rapper that is connected to this life that you really can't avoid, like entertainment and music, especially hip hop. There's these three kind of evils that kind of lurk around, which is sex, drugs and money. No matter what, you're going to be around that, being a part of any type of scene, whether it's fashion, the movie industry, entertainment, music, you're around that. So if I'm talking to the young Chris, I would have warned myself about some of the situations that would come up regarding all of this stuff and to make better decisions when these types of temptations, when they were lurking around, like to not really get so sucked into that type of world. And I think as a young artist, especially if you go from being underground to where only your friends listen to your music to where you're performing in front of thousands of people and like going on a tour and like performing in different places, like you just really don't know how to deal with number one, all that attention and all the money and like partying that kind of is thrown into that whole mix of coming up as an artist, you know? 
So that's the biggest thing I would tell myself is like, morning, Chris, this is what's going to happen. Because I, I never had professional musicians in my family. So nobody taught me these things. I didn't have an older brother. I'm the oldest child that would taught me these things. So I had to be that guy that just made mistakes along the way. And no regrets because it's kind of shaped my personality and my character now. It can give me a lot of uh, power to like impact the youth like moving forward to kind of help them. And maybe that's where this can go is for me to give back to the youth and be like, yo, here are some of the things that aren't so glamorous that you should be looking out for moving forward if you're really about this life. Thank you. Yeah. yeah well. I, I, thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. February Bank, listen or watch out for his next uh, album dropping soon. Just want to say uh, thank you again for your time, all the inspirational stuff that you shared with everyone through your experiences and your whole life journey. I learned a lot. I see a lot of myself in you, like just being and having that common ground of being that Filipino that moves over from North America, trying to find their way in the Philippines. It just also like validated a lot of the thoughts and a lot of my insecurities as well in that process and it's not just me thinking that way so it's for everyone that's trying to just find their way whether you were born in north america or you're in the philippines and just trying to discover yourself vicky what else did you uh, learn from the episode what you said really resonated as well right it's a journey and looking for you know your identity and the things that you planned that didn't happen that you took a chance because you saw this word on a board you know it's the little moments in life that kind of stir you in a certain direction and to be able to look back on it come up with all these lessons and stories and it makes life more richer and fulfilling when you can look back and reminisce on things and to be able to share that and to share the the nuggets of wisdom with the next generation, with your community, with people in music. What I really loved about what Chris was saying, it's his approach to not just music, but also life and continuous self-improvement. So it was really inspiring. And I hope all of you guys listening on this podcast enjoyed it as well. Brent and I are enjoying this process. We love doing these interviews for you. So that's pretty much it. So Brent, take it away. Also follow at Next Theory, follow myself at Brent Javier, and of course follow Vicky at Victoria underscore Herrera. Just stay tuned because we got a lot of fire coming for you guys and hopefully you guys are learning with us and we can all like be better from it. All right. Bye guys. Peace.